Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You, the listening audience, will have the opportunity through episodes in this podcast to learn, dissect, and grapple with some of the issues involving those of us separated from our biological family. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? Barbara and I met several years ago at an AAC conference, American Adoption Congress, in Denver, Colorado. She immediately impressed me as someone I wanted to get to know and stay in contact with for years to come. The reason why? She's full of joy. We did manage to stay engaged via social media. Since the pandemic, our ability to connect more often via monthly Zoom meetings is simply the best. She has been passionately involved with Adoption Network Cleveland for a long time and steered many adoptees to that organization. She joined the Adoptee Voices writing group last month, where she brings her effortless participation and creativity. I find myself thinking of her as my mentor for facilitating groups online, because she is an expert at making people feel comfortable and relaxed in settings where faces are often unfamiliar. People in the adoption community are in different emotional places as they navigate the complexities of adoption, so it's no small task to manage those virtual spaces. Barbara's style is warm, engaging, and empathetic to everyone. Her knowledge coupled with longevity in adoptee circles and a committed connection to the adoption constellation makes her a person I appreciate so much. I'm thrilled that I know her, and not just because she never misses an opportunity to encourage me. She takes full advantage of edifying and uplifting others, too. I have a profound respect and admiration for Barbara Robertson and share with you today our beautiful conversation last month. Well, I thank you so much for accepting my invitation for us to have a conversation today. So why don't we start with you telling me your story? Because I don't even know if I know the entire story of your adoption. So I was adopted as an infant. I was a direct placement. This was in New York State, although I was born in Ohio. And my adoptive parents were of the same race as me. So it was seamless. If I never said anything, which I didn't, no one would have known that I was adopted. I grew up in that home in New York State, in the western New York area, until I was about 15. And then we moved to the Midwest, Indiana. And then I completed high school in Indiana. Went off into the service, Army. Yeah, became an adult. If there's anything, there's other things, please feel free to ask me. Uh, because I know that that's just the simple right. of my story. Right. Yeah, you're you're fine. I I know that I too was adopted by same race. And I think that um sometimes I wonder is there anything unique about that, about our experience being adopted by 
Black adopters. Do you think there are any unique challenges in domestic adoptions of Black adoptees by Black adopters? Yes, I do. Although it was a little difficult to get to because it's not really discussed. Because the accepted version is that uh, Black people, and then again, I'm using the term Black because I feel more comfortable with that, as opposed to African-American, because there's all members of sorts of ways of being of African descent, and I don't want to leave any of those subsets out. So I use the term Black. But um, Yeah, me too. When, I agree. Yeah, right. So I think that the common idea is that Black families always adopt informally and that they're never a part of the system of adoption. And that's not true. There are people who adopt and they are underrepresented. Adopt a Black adoptive parents uh, or prospective parents are underrepresented in adoption. And I, there could be several reasons for that. And I think that could be a whole separate podcast in itself as to why. So that's one thing. And the fact that people feel that if you're a same race adoptee, that you should have a seamless experience, uh, that it would be perfect because you blend in with the family. And honestly, that's not true either. It's not. And I like your word seamless. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. not seamless Mm -hmm. at all. It isn't. And then the third part of that is that there's, it's like, there's the part that is very new to me because of the things that have happened in this country. So Mm -hmm. when I say very new, I'm going to say within the last uh, five years or six years in which I have been now a reunited adoptee, that my biological background and where I came from in terms of my culture is very important. And almost what happens as a person of, uh, of African descent and me as an adoptee have such parallels that I feel it's if it's double, that I feel double. So if an adoptee feels isolated because they feel like they're the only in that particular experience as an adoptee, then I feel it twice because lots of time I, I was an only in many circles as a Black woman, mm-hmm. as a Black child, and had to navigate that. Right. So in the navigation of those unique experiences is something that I feel a lot of people who are now adults are just now reconciling. Mm-hmm. So I count myself within that group. So I'm, I'm still unpacking many things that, uh, that go with that. Yeah. So Jennifer, <laughs> I, I do want to say that part of how that, what has helped me to unpack it was a few years back when I was asked to be part of the Black Anthology, Adult Adoptees Claim Their Space. And this is compiled by uh, Susan Harris O'Connor, Diane Christian, Maymay Elliman, and this is part of the several series of anthologies that they put together. So the fact that they addressed those who were part of the African diaspora and asked me to be a part of it gave me the opportunity to unpack how I felt about this. And so my piece within that can address how I feel about that reclaimed heritage is the title of my piece 
So that is actually how I feel. It's reclaimed heritage. So, yeah. I've been a part of Adoption Network Cleveland for a number of years. And when uh, the legislation for the last group of adoptees who were unable to receive a copy of their original birth certificate or any type of documents related to their adoption, I was part of that group. And I have to go back and say, this is for me, this was one of the most painful and parts that I never discussed as part of me growing up and as part of my adulthood. And that was the the fact that I was an adoptee who was born in Ohio and I was also adopted in New York State. Both states had laws in which it was very prohibitive for me to receive a copy of my original birth certificate. Mm. And they didn't, those laws did not get rectified until 2014 and 2015. 2014 in New York State, I couldn't even become a part of the registry to receive non-identifying information because they had a law that you had to be born and adopted in New York State. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It was just, so, in fact, it was um, the indignity of having your check being sent back to you from the adoption agency because they said, oh, sorry, can't help you. You know, you don't qualify to get any non-identifying information. Mm. was a crushing blow. Yeah. And I had already grown up with, with the fact that as an adoptee from, New, uh, from Ohio, I was born after 1965, which meant that portion of adoptees from 1965 to 1996 could not receive a copy of the original birth certificate because the records were closed. So it was devastating because my uh, affiliation with Adoption Network Cleveland occurred, I want to say almost maybe back in the early 2000s because I thought I'd be able to get information. Mm -hmm. And again, no, it was a closed door. And in fact, it really affected me so much that I just tried for years to just to forget and say, okay, well, you know, if it's not meant for me to know, then I'll have to live with it. I prayed, I cried, I tried to stuff it down, but I always wanted to know. Right. And it, yeah, and it wasn't until 2004, about 2014-ish, when there was some movement in that adoption law to uh, rectify it. And I finally started regaining the hope. Right. So you've been affiliated with Adoption Network Cleveland for 20 years, sounds like, or around that. Yes. Wow. And Ohio would be the first to change the law as it regards the original birth certificate. Is that correct? I'm not sure if Ohio was the first. Because it seems to me New York came after Ohio. Oh, well, in terms of those two states, yes, Ohio was first. Mm -hmm. uh, New York State came uh, and thankfully, thankfully, the uh, New York State was a long fight as well as uh, in Ohio. But there were so many advocates. I, I just wish I could call them by name right now. But there were so many who petitioned, who wrote letters, who went to the state house, and they they advocated. The majority of people who have asked for their certificate was able to get a copy with the names that were on them. 
Oh, that's great. So I know that that was a good feeling. So you get a copy of your original birth certificate and you see your, your birth mom's name on there? Yes. Wow. So for me, when I think, when I used to think of my birth mother, which it was every day, I thought of her every day. Mm. It was, but I didn't have a definition of that. I mean, I didn't imagine her to be a queen, you know, and I was a, a long lost princess. I didn't right. have any of those fantasies right. that people have or she's a movie star or something. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have that. And I couldn't. It was too painful for me, I think, to think about a story. But I always thought of her, H-E-R, like her, mm-hmm. she, mm-hmm. every single day. It was, she was continually a part of my conscience and I had nothing to fill in. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even say that I knew her name. If someone is unnamed, it almost gives them a like that they're not human. And, and I have to say that by extension, I didn't feel quite real. Mm -hmm. So being able to see her name, April 13th, 2015, because I had to mail mine. I couldn't be there in person in Ohio when they opened the, uh, the actual records there that day um, in March. It was astonishing. I, I was in shock. I said, wow, I mean, it only took me five minutes to Google. And I had a lot of information because fortunately she was a, you know, a good citizen. So I was able to get a lot of information because, you know, she had gotten a, a wonderful citation and everything and it's like wow this is great but why it only took five minutes after all this time Mm -hmm. because I didn't know her name I uh, was in a wonderful reunion with her she was a beautiful person unfortunately I lost her last year Mm -hmm. I'm sorry Um, but we had uh, four wonderful years of reunion such an honor because I didn't expect and I'm tearing up even now thinking about it. I didn't expect her level of of coming to just say, hey, yes, this is my daughter and introducing me as such. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just a wonderful thing. So it's taking me time right now to even process parts of the reunion and parts of how my feelings over the years of trying to suppress whatever emotions that came up for me that I didn't understand about my adoption or whether that even had any impact on my life at all. Like I wouldn't have told you 10 years ago that adoption had an impact. I mean, it was just an event, wasn't it? Right. Just a one-time thing. Some adults, they signed some pieces of paper. So then I became part of another family. Mm. So, but actually I've come to realize that it was an impact. It's a lifelong journey. Yes. It, and I, I still get emotional at times when I least expect to be that way. And so it, it clearly has impacted me as well. And I think that I'll be uncovering things from here on out. I agree with you. Yeah. Uncovering things from here on out. And like you said, experiencing unexpected emotions at unexpected times mm-hmm. you know it's it's really been uh and it continues to be uh, a journey and but now what's different is that i'm willing to accept it i'm willing to take it 
to even the most uncomfortable places. Whereas before, it was almost it was almost a for me a coping mechanism of oh no no don't don't look too deep don't ask too many questions you know right. uh, just keep things just keep things on the status quo don't make waves. I too find myself more able or willing to go there with the emotional piece or what I'm like okay you're still dealing with that okay well let's. Let's take a look at it, you know, versus running or avoiding it because it is painful or uncomfortable. That's kind of what I I find myself feeling uncomfortable at times about things. But I want to say that um, I talked with a couple of adoptees recently who were able to be in reunion, um, even if it was for a couple of years. And to hear you say that you had four years, like that can be a part of healing for us as adoptees that we don't even realize, even if it's not a long time, but just to be able to have made contact and met, reunited, um, birth, the birth mom, I think it's it's quite healing. Would you say that that's how you would describe it? Absolutely. And I also will say that even if it wasn't positive, you know, if it, or if it wasn't something that was sustained, that there's value in the doing and the, you know, actually the face-to-face or even just the knowledge that one would gain. Mm-hmm. For me, I, what resonated with me, and I didn't know it when I wrote it to her because I had to write, I wrote a letter to her because at first there was no contact, there was no communication because after that glorious day, April 13th, and I eagerly went to Facebook at the time and wrote a private message and was just giddy with anticipation and, and then didn't hear anything. It took several months and it took one last ditch letter. And I was going to just close the door again and say, OK, I guess that's it. And then she answered me to say that she would meet. And it took several months to get to that. I have to say what I did say in that letter was I was not looking for her to be the mother that I, you know, like of my childhood or anything, or just even that. I just wanted to know her as the woman she is right now. And that's what I put in the letter. And I didn't realize how important that became. And so it went through our relationship, actually, that the woman that my mother was in those four years is exactly who I needed her to be she would she just was Mm. and so it was no mourning for oh I wish she was there when I was a kid or when it you know I'm yes my childhood could have been different but I feel like I didn't really miss anything and I know that might sound controversial she didn't need to be or make up for the years that we weren't together right I understand what you're saying yeah yeah I enjoyed her in those four years, just being who she was and me being who I who I was, getting to know someone that I was related to. And wonderful to see genetic mirrors, to be able to look into her face and to be around her. Now things are starting to make sense. <laughs> <laughs> what beautiful way to put that. It's starting to make sense. Yeah, I can only imagine. I I know my birth mom 
had passed 16 years prior uh, to me finding out who she was. But I remember when I saw her picture, I, I felt that very same thing. Things are fin- finally making sense, a little more sense. <laughs> Absolutely. So I will say that for my mother, she, and notice that I just said my mother, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I said it without qualifying birth, and um, I'm going to say that because one of the first things she said to me during our meeting was, I was always a mother. And for me, that was start- that started the healing process because as an adoptee, I felt like many have where, oh, well, they must have just gave birth and just forgotten, went to live their lives and, you know, forgot all about that this took place. Right. And that solidified the fact that, no, uh, she didn't. She may not have been a mother that raised her children because there's two of us. Um, I have a sister. She didn't raise us. However, that didn't change the fact that she did give birth. So she was a mother. Exactly. By definition. Exactly. And I recently heard someone say, I'm a mother that didn't get to raise my child. And and I had to, like, I felt that. I get that. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're part of Adoptive Voices writing group on Wednesdays, and I'm so glad you're a part of it. When you call me and said, is there still room? I'm like, yes. <laughs> and you, <laughs> Thank you. Yes, and you came on board. So tell me how you feel about Adoptive Voices. I think it's such a wonderful forum because it gives a safe space for adults to be able to process this thing called adoption Mm -hmm. and also how that affected our lives. Because I'll have to say, when I first did the piece for the anthology, I experienced things that I could not have anticipated. To be able to write to go from secret to like not sharing with anyone my feelings, you know, not my family, uh, not saying the words out loud and finally sitting down to put pen to paper or to click the keys and write some words relating to the big event. Gosh, yeah, you got to have a space to process that. And I like the fact that the Adoptive Voices is, is a space to do that. And, it, and we're all coming from different aspects of our lives. And it helps us also to process other things, too. Yeah. And because um, people are. Yeah. And people are in different places emotionally as, as anybody, even non-adopted people. People come from different places emotionally. And yet it feels like the space allows for that. Exactly. And it has to be. Spaces are a good when I'd say a good space is when you can feel validation and acceptance. Mm -hmm. So validation for your lived experience and that you can sit in that and be comfortable that other people can accept you in that space. Mm -hmm. Which is what you do so well as facilitator on the online groups that I have been a part of. And I'm I'm like that skill set that you have. I don't first of all, I know everybody doesn't have it. And I, and I wonder, how are you able to do that? Like, where does that come from? Is it just who you are? Probably so, just who you are. <laughs> Thank you for that compliment. I think it also is part of how I felt, you know, what I experienced for a long time. And that is being the only in the space and mm. having to navigate that in a way that 
I would be able to at least feel comfortable, even if I had the discomfort, nature versus nurture. So part of it, yeah, is that there's a a natural part of it that I have to give homage to my biological origins, Mm -hmm. that there's some part of that. And uh, also just the fact that I wouldn't want people to feel as I had in many places where I was the only, where I was uncomfortable, where nobody understood. And so, and also it was a survival mechanism as well. I had to be a chameleon in a sense as an adoptee to, to kind of read the room as best I could to see who was uncomfortable, who was not having a good time, or is there some danger? Is that person dangerous? A lot of times that's that, especially with as a child. Who's dangerous? Okay, what do I need to do? I need to protect myself. So, you know, um, and also being in the military too, you learn that where you also make sure you know how to leave a room (laughs) in Mm -hmm. a safe way. Mm -hmm. And who's in the room so that you know who's safe and who's not? Right. And what do you do about that? So all of that plays a part. Yeah, I can see that. I'm glad you shared that because it sounds like you you were able to be more sensitive based on your own experience with including people, making them feel included. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, too, because it's sometimes if that doesn't go well, (laughs) it's like then... I, you know, it bothers me because, you know, if, for example, like I worry about the person who may have had to, you know, leave early or something. I'm like, oh, no, How did, <laughs> was it something, you know, and right. then I, so thankfully I have good help too. Adoption Network Cleveland is really good about following up. So when I'm in that particular space as a co-facilitator uh, for our monthly group, then at least I know that someone's followed up. In the same way, in the other groups that I'm a part of, I'm always thinking about them, even if it's, it may seem like I'm not, like I'm silent. Mm-hmm. But I think that the thinking, my emotions is not silent. It's like my emotions and my thoughts are shouting loud, like, hey, how's everybody doing? <laughs> <laughs> I really like that um, Adoption Network Cleveland follows up with me. I'll get an email, like if I signed up for a meeting and didn't attend, I'll get an email from Deb, Deb Wentz. Mm-hmm. And she'll ask me, and just check in, is, you know, notice she didn't make it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I fell asleep or I just had a long, like, but I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate her getting in touch with me to see, was it anything on, I get the impression she's asking, was it anything on our end? Did you have any technical problems? So that is good. It really is, especially, too, because for everyone being able to, uh, like, for example, co-facilitate, there's several other meetings during the month. So there's usually two facilitators at each meeting so that there's always the sharing of making sure because there's somebody that's, for example, monitoring the technical aspects while the other person is actively engaging the group. So there has to be more than one eyes because sometimes one can miss something. And again, I just told you how I would be upset to think, oh, my goodness, I overlooked something unknowingly because hurting someone, even inadvertently, 
it's not a good thing. It's just not. And as adoptees, as people in the adoption constellation, yeah. so. Are you looking forward to any in-person conferences in the near future? Yes. Okay. So and there is, uh, last year, due to COVID, we had two conferences that were canceled. We were able to have Adoption Network Cleveland's conference virtually. And, and that was really positive because it also introduced another organization to which she, they, they were partners in creating this virtual space to have the conference. What was significant about last year is we were going to celebrate that five-year uh, mark of the adoption records being open March of 2015. And then the other one was the Indiana Adoptee uh, Network Conference. But Indiana Adoptee Network has now known as National Association of Adoptees and Parents. It has now become an, an organization with a nationwide focus. They will still hold a conference, which will be in September of this year, September 10th and 11th. So please let me put in a plug yes. for National Association of Adoptees and Parents. Yes, please. Look at their website and uh, check it out because this is hoped to be a, like a resource website for all in the adoption constellation. Mm-hmm. So if you want to hear about conferences or any type of groups, for example, that are meeting the, the hope is that people will plug in and give their information so that it'll be kind of a, a, a place, a central place that people will be able to go, okay, adopting, you know what, I can use a meeting. Let's see who's doing it. Okay, on this particular date, we've got such and such a meeting. And they could click on the calendar and then register and that sort of thing. And there's constant speakers, series that are going on online. I've actually been very excited to see how many types of connections we've done virtually because of COVID, we've had to pivot and, and mm-hmm. adapt and, and maintain communications and, and uh, relationships right. that were nurtured in person. Right. Exactly. Because, you know, we met, you and I met several years ago, the American Adoption Congress Conference is where we met. And, and back then... Um, Although I, I would see members of the adoption community at least once a year. I feel like after COVID or during the pandemic, all pretty much all of last year and, and up to now, I've met so many more people and feel I, like I've connected like regularly, you know, at least a couple of times a month. It's the pivot you're talking about, but it feels good. I'm not sure when I'll be at an in-person conference it's possible this year, but I do know I still, I feel, I won't say more connected. I'll say better connected because it seems like it's ongoing more so than say an annual conference. You know, my, Absolutely. yeah, my connection, especially with you. Like I, I think we've talked, I've called you about so many different things over the last few months. And, and I enjoy being on the Zoom meetings when you're facilitating because it's just, it's just so good. It really is. So I don't know about the in-person for me just yet. Um, I, I understand that. And I, I do understand that. In fact, 
the conference that I just spoke of is going to be a hybrid version. They won't be able to make it in person. They still can participate. Oh, good. Virtually. Good. Yeah. So I'm excited for that because, like you said, you could still enjoy and participate. And also, I just, I love what you said, better connected because Mm -hmm. people have had to go virtual when maybe they didn't want to or Mm -hmm. they've had some reservations about it. And I have to say that even before the pandemic, I was doing the monthly virtual, you know, meetup. I'd been co-facilitating that for two years before. And then before that, I was a participant. That that particular online has been going on for five years because there were people who were Ohio adoptees, for example, that weren't able to attend an in-person Ohio facilitated meeting, but they still were, you know, needed the connection. Right. And it was really great, especially for me, for example, being a New York adoptee, but I don't live in Ohio, but I still got to connect with my uh, record of, you know, my place of birth where people were meeting as adoption people, the adoption constellation. So that was great. Mm-hmm. And it helped. Believe me, I have to say it was a good example of the best parts of being able to still stay connected virtually. You receiving the original birth certificate was was a game changer, but there was a floodgate of emotions that happened afterwards that and things, just thoughts and everything that just was like, if I was able, if I could have, if I was only doing it and dealing with it by myself, I don't think I would have been able to string coherent sentences together mm-hmm. at this point or even be able to cope with things. But it helped to be connected to other adoptees who understood as we reached out to each other virtually and and through our texts and stuff like that. And even now that's what's keeping us sane, connected and able to like normalize. Everything is valid. Everyone's reactions are valid. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And I've met people, I can think of just at least three people that we exchange phone numbers as a result of meeting on Zoom. We keep in contact sometimes weekly. Like, in fact, I know one person who's 83, she would not be at a conference and she would not be, there would have been no other way for me to meet her. We were laughing about that last Saturday. Like, because of the Zoom, we connected. She's a birth mom. And I, I, yeah, I gravitate to birth moms, birth parents, period, because I learned so much from their perspective, especially going back to that era of the 60s, you know, the baby scoop era. era. And I just learned from them those times, you know, like just all the nuances of those times for teenagers relinquishing babies. So I'm so deeply appreciative to the Zoom because I don't think I had ever done one ever before last year. (laughs) (laughs) And just to meet so many people and learn so much because even being connected for a while now with the community, there's still so much to learn. When I meet people who are just brand new, it doesn't matter if you've got a day in or 10 or 15 years in, you're still learning so much. Like we're all still learning and healing. That is yes. Emphatically yes. (laughs) Completely agree. It's not just uh, learning from 
other adoptees or birth moms. And I just want to emphasize that when we when I refer to the constellation, I'm also talking about the adoptive parents, birth parents, extended family. Mm-hmm. However, usually the voice that gets heard the loudest are adoptive parents. So I'm just going to lovingly put them aside for a moment and just highlight not just birth mothers, but birth fathers. There are many who have been in reunion with their birth fathers. Mm-hmm. And birth extended family. I've been very blessed to have experienced those extended families. Cousins, I have not understood what a cousin could be like until I connected with my biological cousins on both sides. They've been some real champions just because they're who they are and also because they were accepting. And I I just was blown away by the fact that they were able to like, yeah, we're family. Mm -hmm, That's right. And (laughs) by the way, everybody's tree is has those twists and turns in them. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you put that. Yeah. Yeah. That extended family is important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I, I just wanted to let people know that once you sit with these complicated emotions, and I'll use my word that I made up. <laughs> complexicated. (laughs) I like that word, complexicated. (laughs) Yeah, you know, because it is. It's like a whole bunch of contradictions and things that are happening at the same time when it comes to relationships, the way that your life is being conducted, how you've done, what other people were doing. It's just so much. And having to process it all in maybe a relatively short amount of time, you know, um, has been also that because a lot of times we as adoptees and as part of the rest of the constellation may have suppressed a lot of the feelings for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, again, because they're not, we thought that they weren't significant and I'm putting those in air quotes because that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, in closing, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish to share with the adoption community? Yeah, I just want to encourage people that no matter how your journey has been as an adoptee or as any part of the constellation, please know that you're not alone, number one. Number two, don't give up. Things that maybe what's happening now is subject to change and just be encouraged that there that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And whatever that looks like for you, it's okay. It's going to be okay. That's beautifully stated. Thank you so much, Barbara. I really appreciate you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you too, Jennifer. I'm so glad we got to know each other. You know, this is great since meeting in person, but now we've we've connected even more so virtually. So I appreciate that a lot. When my friend Barbara said the word complexicated, I found it to be the perfect way to describe my take on the subject of adoption. I say yay for combining two words, complex and complicated, often used by many adoptees in the community. Her journey of search and reunion was nothing short of frustrating and a roller coaster of emotions. Yet Barbara stayed the course. And like me, once she saw her birth mother's name on her original birth certificate, it was a beautiful sight. 
Only another adoptee can appreciate seeing that for the first time. I like how Barbara described the four years of reunion with her birth mom before her passing and how they lived in the present, not the past, as they got to know one another. I picture that being just how I would have approached a reunion with my birth mom. I'm so glad we can now celebrate Ohio and New York allowing adoptees to request their OBC. I believe other states like California, Florida, Texas, and many others will look to changing their laws too, so adoptees can have a simple piece of paper, aka the original birth certificate, not denied to all of its other residents. Barbara's use of the word seamless sticks with me as what some might imagine when Black adoptees are adopted by Black adopters. It's far from seamless, though from all outward appearances, it seems so. Domestic Black adoptions are unique, as Barbara so clearly stated to me, in that we fit in versus belonging, even when we happen to look like our adoptive families. We adapt to our new environment, keeping most, if not all, of our feelings tucked away until such a time and place is available where we can express our truths from behind the mask. One final thing. I'm thrilled to know that at least one in-person conference for adoptees and parents is scheduled for this year in Indianapolis, Indiana. The dates are September 10th and 11th, 2021, with NAAP, National Association of Adoptees and Parents, It is a 501c3 educational organization that is dedicated to enhancing the lives of adoptees by unifying and elevating the voice of all adoptees, regardless of where they are in their adoption journey. Thank you again, Barbara, for taking the time to shed much light on adoption and your experience. Barbara Robertson is currently a part of the senior advisory team with NAAP, National Association of Adoptees and Parents. She is a moderator with Adoption Network Cleveland, and she can be reached via Facebook, where she is a member of several adoptee-related groups. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement, and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community.